This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, this is Rebecca Buchanan, host of New Books Network, New Books and Popular Culture. And today I am here with Helene Sapinski and Bonnie Siegler, who are the authors of The American Way, A True Story of Nazi Escape, Superman, and Marilyn Monroe. Helene and Bonnie, thanks for being here with me today. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. Could you start by talking a little bit about how this book came to be and how you two sort of got together and wrote this story? Well, it's kind of a long story. <laughs> Do you want to start, Bonnie? You want to start? I, my grandfather shot footage of Marilyn Monroe while she was filming The Seven-Year Itch on the streets of New York, the shot where her dress blows up over her head. He had told us about this for a good part of my life, um, but it wasn't... Um, until we moved, he had to move that we found the footage. And then I thought maybe I could use the footage to get an article in the newspaper about the Holocaust. This was after Trump was elected and, I, and the country seemed to be veering towards fascism. And it just felt like we should be talking about this subject. So um, I asked my book agent if she could recommend someone and she recommended Helene. And, and the reason she she wanted to, the reason it even comes up with the Holocaust is her grandfather was an escapee of Nazi Germany. Which, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to tell the whole story. Yeah. So Helene and I met and fell in love, and um, <laughs> Helene wrote this incredible article. And then years later, um, we I found more information um, about about the, essentially the Superman tie-in I discovered in its full in, in its fullness. So I asked Helene if she wanted to keep going, and yeah. luckily she did. And I already knew, you know, the basics, oh. obviously. You know, we, we had done quite a bit of research, you know, for the time story. Well, I guess, you know, she had done a lot of research and gave it to me, and then I wrote the story. And it was one of those stories that went viral, you know. It was one of those things that went all over the place. Um, we got a lot of good reception from it. And um, so I just knew in my bones that it would make a good book, you know? And so as soon as she said, do you want to write a book? And I was like, yes, you know, and it was right before the pandemic, which was terrific. We obviously did not know the pandemic was coming, but uh, we started writing the proposal, I think that December before the pandemic. And, you know, it got us through, I think that. Yeah. The time that we were gifted during the pandemic was perfect for doing this kind of research where, a rabbit hole can take four hours and you find nothing. And then you go down another rabbit hole. So right. it was really helpful. Right. right. The book done. It's, yeah, it was one of definitely the silver linings of the, the pandemic. Um, oh. Yeah. We sold it that following some, the summer after the pandemic. And then, but we were, had been working on it the whole time. You know, when you, when you pitch a book, you're proposing a book, you're already writing the book, you know? So we had written it, we'd been writing it for a few months and then we sold it. And then we went into overdrive and, you know, but the, the big catch with the pandemic was that, you know, we couldn't go in person to a lot of places. And so, for instance, um, there's a guy named Larry Ty who wrote a book about Superman a number of years ago. And all of his information for his book is archived at Columbia University. And we're in New York. I'm in New York. Um, uh, Bonnie's in Connecticut. And um, on, in an ideal world, I would have been able to go to 
Columbia University and look through those files and find what we wanted to use uh, about Superman. But we couldn't go to Columbia. And so we had to get the archivist, the comics archivist, there is one, believe it or not, at Columbia. And uh, she had to go through every file with us and show us what was in it. <laughs> it took like weeks, right? I don't She held papers up. It was like box number three. And she would hold <laughs> one paper up at a time. And we would say, yes, that would be helpful, please, sir. And she would uh, go record. Uh, she would go copy it and then, you know, send it to us digitally. You know, it was insane. It was completely insane. So stuff like that. And then, you know, of course, we, we wanted to go to Berlin, which is her grandfather escaped from Berlin, uh, from Berlin in 1938. And, um, you know, it was closed. <laughs> you, know, you could not go to Berlin. And so we waited and waited and waited. And finally, towards the end of the writing of the book, we already even had like pretty much a rough draft. Um, it opened up and Bonnie was like, we got to go, let's go. Yeah. And we went and we found amazing, amazing stuff. And we were, it was just incredible how almost every specific address we were looking for. I don't know if you've ever been to Berlin, but a lot of it was destroyed and every building address we were looking for was still standing. So we really got to go back in time with my relatives, homes and businesses. Yeah. We, you know, we would go to a different, to each different address and hope it was there. And so of course they're all standing, which is amazing. And we would stand outside until someone came home in that building. And, you know, I've, I've been a reporter for years, so this is how I function, you know? And so I said, Bonnie, just sit and wait. We'll just sit and wait. And sure enough, somebody would come home and open the door and I'd run up to them and say, excuse me, you know, we don't speak German. So you're hoping they speak English. And they did. And we're like, we're writing this book about Bonnie's grandfather. And, you know, he lived in this building. Can we come in and look, you know, and they were terrific. You know, everybody let us in. We walked through all the hallways and saw basically the stairway that he, walked down to escape from Berlin in 1938, which is pretty amazing to see that. And so that sort of brought the book to a whole other level. We had all this description that we didn't have before. So, Yeah, you do this like lovely job. Well, first, like there's so much there, right? But first, can you kind of talk about how you structured this, right? Because it does tie in sort of Marilyn Monroe. It talks about Billy Wilder, right? We've got this, um, and you make it as um, you have a cast of characters, right? And you have sort of act one and act two, and you've kind of really set this up um, to embrace some of this um, film and nostalgia that goes along with that. So can you talk about um, that kind of structure of it before we get into this this really amazing story that you tell well you know bonnie just kept doing research she was doing family research she did a lot of the holocaust research she dealt with the um the museum in washington dc the archivist there they were amazing 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 um the book couldn't have been written without them without them they kept giving her stuff she kept saying it my way and then she kept just reading stuff and then i would read stuff and so she just kept throwing stuff at me i just sort of I don't know. I just kind of started writing, you know, with whatever I had, but then she would throw me more stuff and it would grow. And so the book kind of came up through the middle because with a book, I don't, you know, if you've, I've, I don't know if you've ever written a book, but it doesn't start at the beginning and end at the end, right? It just sort of bubbles up somewhere in the middle and you're just sort of in the midst of it and you're trying to figure it out. Um, my big fear was how to tie it all together when we first started out, you know, because there were all these different plot lines. You've got um, the escape from Nazi Germany. You've got Billy Wilder, who is the director of the seven year itch, right? But Billy Wilder also escaped from Nazi Germany and lived and went to all the same places that Jules went to her grandfather. And then you've got Marilyn Monroe, you've got the Marilyn Monroe story. And then you've got Superman because uh, Jules's sponsor to come over to America was the publisher of Superman. So you've got all these threads, right? And how are we going to tie them all together? And some of them are obvious, you know, obviously, you know, Billy Wilder's in Berlin, so you can describe him in Berlin at that time. But Marilyn Monroe was sort of this like, you know, curveball. Like, how are we going to tie her into everything? We know that Jules filmed her and we know that Billy Wilder directed her. But what's her connection to this whole thing? And that was my big worry. And actually, you know, one day I was just reading a book about Marilyn Monroe. I think it was probably something that um, Bonnie had told me to read. She was constantly throwing books my way. And um, so I'm reading this book and I get to the last page. And after the last page is a picture of her. And she's dressed in nothing but the covers of the magazines that she was on that year. This was 1946. This was before she was in movies, right? She was a, a magazine model. 
And the magazines that she's covered in are the magazines that Harry Donenfeld, the publisher of Superman, had published. He also did girly magazines, you know. And it was like this big light bulb went off over my head and I called Bonnie. Bonnie and I would talk to each other about 150 times a day. You know, we were just constantly talking to each other on the phone. I was like, oh my God, Bonnie, 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 look at this picture, you know. And that was sort of the tie. And so you had these little things, you know, you would just come across coincidence in a way, you know. And so you're you're picking out those coincidences and tying everything together. You're sort of stitching it together, if you will. Well, and a lot of the other stuff you let fall to the wayside and you're keeping those those connections. So. But it was definitely a giant tapestry of intertwined stories and making sure nobody gets lost and keeping it balanced. It was like painting a beautiful mural and we had to make sure everything got in it in the right way, in the right order. Yeah. Really, yeah. Um, your pacing's important. You know, we had one, one stretch in the middle of the book, which I, if you've, you've read it, you know, is pretty heavy. You know, it gets into the Holocaust and you find out what happened to all the relatives of Jules who stayed behind in Germany. Um, and it, it's really, really hard to read sometimes. And so like, I think in the middle of the night, I got the idea to put a chapter in there about Billy Wilder filming a movie in the midst of the war. You know, I had just seen this movie that he, he had directed and it was about World War II, but it was a little lighter because it was Billy Wilder. Right. And so I kind of inserted that in the middle of that. And it just it totally worked, I thought, because you're kind of like you don't want to scare the reader away. You know, you want to keep them coming. And so you have to pace them. You have to kind of put down the little, you know breadcrumbs to lead them through the dark forest, you know? Uh, well, in this case, we don't want breadcrumbs because the birds would eat them, but um, whatever, carrots. <laughs> and, um, you know, so it's just, yeah, it's just kind of, you kind of feel your way through it, I think. And Bonnie was just terrific and just kept, she just kept, kept it coming. You know, I, I did some research, but she did the bulk of it. So it was a good, it was a good match. <laughs> well, and like you said, there's all these sort of characters and and it is heavy, right? It is the story of the Holocaust and and just like family devastation, right? At times. And so you get, at least for me as a reader, I also was invested not only in the major characters, but in these minor characters, because I can't even imagine living a life where I have no idea what happened to my parents or my siblings, right? And that and that devastation. So I guess like Bonnie, I like how much of this were stories that your family had told and how much of it was kind of new stories that you either found out about as you were doing this research or um, these were you had relatives who nobody knew what had happened. And then you, as you were doing this research, you found out what had happened to your relative. It was a combination. I mean, my grandfather was a great storyteller, as we said. So those stories I knew, but they were all the uplifting, positive stories. Nobody ever told the devastating stories. It was not discussed. And the whole, that generation didn't talk about it. And then their kids had carried on the guilt and they didn't talk about it. So it's really up to the grandchildren, this generation and the one before me, who discovered these stories and shared them. Most people only know like, oh, six million Jews and Anne Frank. That's the end of their Holocaust knowledge. So to talk about not only people who were in camps and survived, people who never went to camps and got out before, or people who were killed before, the breadth of the story is so much bigger than most people are aware of. So, so that was a big reason for why we did it. But as I started, I realized people I sat next to at, you know, Passover Seders, I didn't know they were in camps. Like that was shocking to me that I didn't know my own family's history. So I started digging and um, yeah, my great grandparents, we, nobody ever knew what happened to them. So there was a lot that we discovered along the way that was devastating but you know billy wilder as we wrote never found out what happened to his mother there it's just a crazy thing to just not know and feel like you're never gonna know but with the luckily we're doing this work in 20 in the 21st century and everything's online all of a sudden so all these records that they kept are available and so if i had even tried to look 20 years ago i wouldn't have been able to find what we were able to find so it's really a combination of being a grandchild, so being far enough away, and the internet that allowed me to do it. Yeah. I mean, Bonnie found out exactly what happened to her 
great grandparents, which no one in the family even knew. And it's a horrible, horrible story. I don't want to go into details now on the interview, but it's in the middle of the book. Like I said, that sort of hard part about the Holocaust. And, you know, when she found it and she sent it to me, she was like in tears, you know. And at that point, I almost felt like I was part of her family. And I was like in tears. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I felt like I knew these people already because we had been writing about them already. And to find out the incredible detail, you know, the Nazis kept these insane records. So we found exactly what happened to them, like day by day. It's insane, insane. And that's how we wrote those chapters. I mean, it was there. The information, if you have the information, you know, you can make a compelling narrative because you have the basics and, and we had them, you know, and it was kind of mind blowing. Um, so. Yeah. And I appreciated too, that there was um, it, it, like, like you said, Bonnie, like that idea that we often think of like 6 million Jews killed and then Anne Frank. Right. But that there is this history beyond just what was going on in Germany. So, right. You had relations in um, the Netherlands, in Israel, right. um, getting back and forth and the story. And I'd love to get into the story of your grandfather, even getting his family here to the United States because he had to come to the U S and find someone to sponsor him. And then sneak his way back into Berlin. Right. So we have, um, you sort of see this throughout Europe and, and that the larger connections that can be made. And, and, you know, all 6 million plus everyone else. I mean, these were all individual people with individual stories and any survivor in America, anyone has a fantastic story. I mean, you, you didn't make it through that period without, you know, having an experience that luckily we don't have right now. Yeah. Major um, drama, major, major drama. Um, but of course, the immigration issue in America is people from other countries are having those exact issues. Right. To talk about them, just the day to day of living with that kind of uncertainty, I think is really important to remind people of our all of our humanity. Mm-hmm. One of the characters that um, we wrote about was Ushi. I don't know if you remember Ushi, who was hiding underground, you know, the whole time in, in Berlin. We didn't know she was going to be a character in the book. We were thinking of doing more about Silly, who, who dies in Paris. But again, we couldn't go to Paris. We couldn't do that research. We tried to hire somebody to do the research. They couldn't get anything. And we really wanted to have that another character who sort of, you know, is sort of in the background there. And um, we just wound up finding stuff out about Ushi. And she's one of my favorite characters, actually. You know, she gets she gets out, and but she, has, she hides for years. <laughs> it's completely insane. What's really funny, though, to me, I know this is totally separate from my childhood, but when I, so we had Anna Ishii, and then we had an uncle Ishii, and <laughs> <laughs> so in my family, it was Ushi, Ishii, Tushi, like it was just always hysterical. And now, of course, Anna Ishii is this amazing character in the book, and I have to put my Ushi, Tushi away. <laughs> yeah, she's a real superhero. She's a superhero. Well, and so, and I, I have to, is that typewriter still around? <laughs> My daughters have it, yes. They must. Okay. okay. Must. <laughs> good question, though. Yeah. yeah. A really good question. I'll ask Audrey. <laughs> yeah. Email everyone when we're done. So, so you have, so, so tell us a little bit, right? We know that your grandfather filmed Marilyn Monroe. We know the story, but can you talk a little, um, about about how um, this connection, this connection to Superman, how um, your grandfather, grandmother got to the United States in the first place and how that kind of connects to Superman to start with. Yeah, it's really insane. A cousin of my grandparents who they had never met, but they had known she came over a lot earlier. So he got in touch with them. And that was Faye Sternberg, who was our, our superhero. Um, and Faye happened to live next to Harry Donenfeld in the Bronx a number of years earlier, and they had become friendly. And then since they had become friendly, Harry had achieved some amount of success. So she knew he was a, you know, a wealthier person that they were friends with. This is pre-Superman, mind you. It was in the works. In fact, it came out the same week they, that Harry Donenfeld signed for my family. So it wasn't that he was famous because of Superman. He was just the richer guy that they knew. And he ended up doing it. So um, and then my grandfather had to go back and get my grandmother and my mother and bring them back again. And that's a whole other drama, which I don't want to ruin. 
you don't want to give the whole story away. But yeah, he had to sneak back into Nazi Germany and get them. And so he, he escaped twice, not just once. But he escaped twice from Nazi Germany. So we have this story of your family um, and we sort of see that, we weave that, but we also do have the story of Harry and we have the story of um, sort of the creation of Superman and this relationship. So can one of you talk a little bit about um, that as well, um, how the importance of Superman and sort of Harry's role in um, not only the Superman, but in the comic industry as well and the sort of superhero industry. <laughs> Well, I, we can both, I'll start and you can jump in. Bonnie probably knows more than I do. But, um, you know, Harry had started out publishing girly pulp magazines. So they weren't quite pornography. They were just sort of like mostly drawings of naked women. Um, and so that's how he made much of his fortune. He was also a bootlegger. It wasn't even, they weren't even fully naked. Right. <laughs> it was like topless, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, certainly not porn uh, by today's standards. Um, so that's how he kind of made his fortune. He was also a bootlegger. Um, and um, so he he was he got rich and he decided, I think uh, Jack Leibowitz was his partner. And Leibowitz was an accountant. And I think he was trying to make Harry go a little more mainstream. He said, you know, we should try and move out of the girly pulp um, business. Maybe we can do something else. And they saw that this, this new form this comic book thing was on the rise and they sort of got in on the ground floor. Uh, so Bonnie, you take it from there, <laughs> Jerry and Joe. Yeah. So they, they, you know, I mean, Jerry and Joe are, are superheroes to me as well. I mean, they were just incredibly inventive and imaginative and really driven for young 20 somethings. Like, this is Jer They might not know who Jerry and Jerry, Jerry Siegler and Joe Schuster, the creators of Superman, the, the artist and the writer. Jerry Siegel, not Jerry Siegler. Right. <laughs> Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster were the creators. They were young. They came up with the ideas in high school. They kept trying to sell it to, to company after company after company who all rejected them. They were rejected as many times as, um, you know, the Harry Potter lady. <laughs> J.K. Rowling. <laughs> they were rejected 25 times as well. And then somehow the, the Superman strip was put in front of Harry and, Je and Jack Leibowitz and they said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll run this. They were kind of desperate. They had to fill a bunch of pages of a, of a magazine that they didn't know what it was exactly. So they, Jerry and Joe cut up a strip that they had done as a newspaper strip and pasted it together. If you actually read that first comic, it makes no sense. Like, cause it's out of order. It's just really <laughs> not, um, so they published it and Jerry and Joe were so happy to be published that they took whatever money was offered them and signed a contract that said Harry and, and Jack Leibowitz own everything about Superman for $105. And that was that. Yeah. And then, of course, Superman took off and, you know, more ways than one. And they became insanely wealthy. You know, it was a radio show and um it was a syndicated comic strip. It went on and on, you know, then it was a TV show and, you know, whatever. And Jerry and Joe, they were paid, you know, pretty well over the years to, to keep producing the, the uh, comic strip and all, but nothing compared to what Harry and Jack were making. So they kind of got screwed. I don't know if I can say screwed, but <laughs> say whatever you want. And then, and then Jerry and Joe ended up fighting their whole lives to be out of poverty and to get the money they knew they deserved and they did deserve it. Yeah. So that's a subplot. They're in there, you know, they're characters. Um, and I don't know if you mentioned Bounty, but Jerry and Joe were Jewish. So they were two Jewish kids from Cleveland. So, you know, it all kind of ties together. Right. And even their name recognition. So w one thing I thought was really interesting too, is that you do have these sort of really iconic, right? Superman is, an iconic American, you know, hero and character as well as Marilyn Monroe. And so the, how do you, and I think you did a really great job of this, but like even talking about how you tell these stories that people have heard before, like how do you sort of bring um, something new to these stories? And so I know with sort of Jerry and Joe, there were connections between, um, experiences as being sort of young Jewish boys in the United States during that time frame and all of that. But were there other ways with both like the Superman story and the Marilyn Monroe story that you 
found um, sort of a different sort of connection or twist to the story to tell? Uh, Definitely. I mean, with each of them, and it really came from just digging deeper and reading everything. With Marilyn, I mean, she was a feminist in completely and totally and is not, that's not how most people think of her. So we were so blown away by her cool and that she knew what she had was worth something and she wasn't going to take less than that. And it wasn't just money. It was the way she was being treated. And women did not stand up for themselves like that then. And you certainly don't think of a, you know, blonde bombshell as the one who's going to stand up for her rights. So I think just with Marilyn, we found this completely different angle where we were so impressed by someone who had been through so much trauma and came out of it with such a sense of self. Usually yeah. people like that are destroyed in the process. So, yeah. and, and the great twist, of course, was that she converted, you know, near the end of her life right. to Judaism. So again, bring it all back, you know, um, which I think I knew years ago, but kind of forgot, you know. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Yes, no, there were these elements. And, and it was interesting. I will say that I appreciated that we often... Often I think people talk about Marilyn Monroe as this sort of tragic figure, right? And in no way, shape, or form, like what happened to her was tragic, but you know, but you don't kind of look at her in that way. Like you said, Bonnie, like you look at her as this sort of strong woman who knew what she wanted um, and was like, and and I loved even talking about um, her nudes and how she was kind of like, yep, they're there. That's cool. Like, you know, let's go. <laughs> um, I'm going to take that and I'm going to seize it and I'm going to use it. Exactly. And, and she didn't, she refused. There's a line in the book, I think about how she never slept with someone who could do her any good. I mean, she wasn't sleeping with the studio executives because she didn't want to. <laughs> but that's not the impression people have of her. Yeah. One of the um, little things that we found out about her too was, um, oh, wait, I just forgot it now. Sorry. Keep talking. I'll, it'll come, come to me. I was going to say it and now it's gone. And this is menopause, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Uh, Marilyn Monroe. Uh, I completely understand. Um, I yes. know it was. I know, no, no. So <laughs> Mar- one of the cool things we found about Marilyn was that, um, you know, she had she had been naked in these photos before she got famous. And she got famous. And then you Hefner, you know, used those photos for the first issue of Playboy magazine, which, of course, I knew, too, sort of way back in my memory bank somewhere. Um, but then we, st- we started to dig into Hugh Hefner and we found out that Hugh Hefner's true dream when he was young was to become a comics artist, you know, <laughs> so just like, oh my God, you know, just like there's all these intersections, you know, and we ran with that one, of course, as far as we could go with it. Um, and you know, he was like tying thread, all these threads hang down. Oh, let's pull this one here and let's pull this one here. This one could tie in. Yeah, like super fun. <laughs> all come together right it's like oh and and i actually maybe two years ago interviewed a woman who'd written a book on hugh hefner and so had some of his old comic drawings in there and like you know from what he wrote when he was in illinois and at college but yeah but i was like oh that's right it was one of those things like saying that i was like yes i knew that i knew that kind of story (laughs) um but you totally forget about it but then you start to sort of see all these connections and see all this um it could so be crazy yeah no, no no i know i was like that's why i was thinking like that you know asked about like sort of how you weave this together because the family story doesn't get lost either right oh. it could get sort of lost in these larger than life characters and it doesn't right we really get at least for me was really invested in sort of what happens to everyone even though 
you know, I knew some of the Superman, but not um, not all of that Superman history, like really invested in the I'm like, these poor kids, they signed it away, like, right, like, and like, and, uh, you know, finally getting their names put back on something, right, but all of that, like, so you really get invested in these characters, uh, they're people, but in the book characters and, and sort of what happens to them. Well, not all superheroes wear capes. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> exactly. I think the main thing was to also keep Jules as the center narrative thrust. You know what I mean? He what he does come straight through. You know what I mean? You don't lose him. He's the main. He really is the main character. He's not there all the time, but he's traveling through. You know, and I, I always wanted to keep him there. And everything else is kind of dancing around him. All the other ones are kind of you know swirling around him. And you know, with my other books, it was a similar situation. I've always I've always written memoir. This is the first non memoir I've ever written. And with me, what I would do is I would tell my story, my family story, or whatever you know, a personal story, at with the backdrop of history. You know, so for my first book, it was about criminals in my family in Jersey City. But I told the history of Jersey City. It has this huge corruption history. Um, and, uh, the, the second book was about playing drums in a rock band on the Lower East Side. And so I set that stage of, you know, the rock scene on the Lower East Side. So you want, you want that backdrop of what's going on behind your personal story. And so the personal story here wasn't mine. It was, it was Bonnie's family's, you know? And so that was the thing that was going to make it a book, right? Because there've been books about Superman. There've been books about Marilyn Monroe. There've been books about the Nazis, right? But the story is their story with all that sort of swirling around them and tying into it. And, you know, we, we bring all of it. They, like we said, that, that tying together kind of becomes the theme of the book because it's sort of like, we are all connected, right? We're all connected one way or the other. You look back far enough and we need to be nice to each other. You know, we, we need to, to love each other. And so that's sort of the theme I think of the book, but that comes in later with, with Jules. I don't want to give away the ending. But. Um, yes. Also, um, wait, now I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> no, it's your turn. It's your turn. <laughs> and then menopause. Um, <laughs> so crazy. Oh, um, tying together. We're all connected. Yes, oh, so, I know, I know. It was. It's also just Helene and my taste for things because like facts like the Nazi Titanic. Like when I read about the Nazi Titanic, I've read a million books about the Holocaust, never heard of that. So when something like that came up, we're like, oh my God, this has to be in the book. Like, so we were drawn to different kinds of things, all that, you know, connected to other things, of course. But things like the Nazi Titanic, I don't know if someone else writing a book about the Holocaust would have included that, but for us, it was golden. Yeah, because it was, you know, about making a movie, right? They made a movie about the, it was like Titanic, but made by the Nazis, which is insane. And uh, it's a long story. We don't want to go into it, but it tied into the Hollywood theme, right? So we've got Marilyn Monroe, we've got Billy Wilder. So anything having to do with Hollywood, we were grabbing it and sticking it in there. You know what I mean? So you, you kind of had certain and, topics. And it and it was a Holocaust story too, in fact. Right. Yeah. Well, and like, and Helene, you talked about, and I, I saw this in here, that sort of backdrop of like, what has been happening, you know, starting in the thirties, all the way to sort of present day, and how this, you know, sort of what has been happening in society that has sort of impacted what happened. Like even you bring up the films and like that Billy Wilder was sent over to kind of figure out who was making movies that were really propaganda films and were really like sold, sold into Nazi propaganda and what filmmakers were just doing it because they were forced to do it. Right. So we kind of, you know, so there's, there's always that backdrop of historically and culturally kind of what was going on. And, and so I thought that that was really important to like, you know, and, and really helped to sort of enrich and enliven the story that you told. Yeah, because you are learning stuff too. And I learned stuff the whole time, right? We were learning stuff every day, like a thousand things. So you're, you're invested in the plot. You know, you want to know how Jules gets here and what's happened and to, what's happening to his family and what's he going to do when he gets here. Um, so that's your plot line. But there's all that history, you know, and you, you want to make that palatable to people. You don't want to just give them big chunks of, you know, textbook paragraphs you know so my job is to enliven that history and to make it personal you know you're you're getting you're seeing it through his eyes or through billy wilder's eyes or through marilyn's eyes or whoever's there in that chapter right right and to see it that way on a one-to-one again instead of saying six million 
let's look at one person's story or five people's stories. And it makes a really big difference. I mean, it's literally why the story of Anne Frank is the only one people know. Because I can't absorb what happened to six million people, but I can absorb what happened to one. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I think that's why it comes alive. I can I can get into this one person's story. Yeah. And we we kind of like it's it's sort of almost like a Trojan horse, too. You know what I mean? We wanted to teach people about the Holocaust without hammer, hammering them over the head. You know, because you tell somebody something's a Holocaust book, you know, a lot of times they're just going to go the other way. They're like, I don't really want to read that. You know, it's just too heavy. I can't deal with that right now. I'm going to the beach or whatever. But this is like wrapped in fur and Marilyn Monroe and Superman. So you've got this sort of like gauzy, you know, top layer. Um, and we're kind of tricking people, I think. <laughs> That's our job. That, and I think we succeeded. luring them in you're getting stuff that's good i mean we put a pretty girl on the cover there's no (laughs) doubt about it there's a reason for that they're luring people in and they're gonna get some stuff that they didn't expect but they're gonna learn from it and hopefully it will help make them a better citizen yes it's like putting spinach in the you know the cupcakes (laughs) or whatever however the people well yeah and you've even like you've even brought in a, a bit of like New York as a character, right? And mm-hmm. and the importance of New York. And I appreciated even um, like your, like Bonnie's grandparents and grandfather's relationship to New York and even sort of Harry's relationship, right? This, so, so New York is as important as this backdrop too. And the, and the role that it plays as this sort of um, city that people want to go to, but also kind of the changing New York as well. So well, right, that, you yeah. are the first person. That's why the Statue of Liberty is on the cover. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> No, so it's really true. I mean, it's a fifth character. But the thing about the Statue of Liberty on the cover is her back is to us. Because Mm -hmm. that's the way it was to people wanting to come to America. Right. And I'm so glad that you, like you said this at the beginning, but that you got to go to Berlin. And because, right, like there is this... um, there's always this nostalgia for the place that you have been, but also this fear that when, if you go back, it's not going to be the same. Right. Um, and so being able to kind of be in that space and see that space um, and, and sort of understand your heritage and your grandparents in a different kind of way or in that, you know, is a really important thing to be able to do. And see. Yeah. yeah. Bonnie, Bonnie brought her son to Oscar, uh, which was really terrific. I'm glad you brought him. Because that's intense for him. And it's something he's going to never forget. No, not oh, just yeah. not forget, but it's going to be part of his psyche and it like, is, definitely form his future. You know? yeah. <laughs> well, yes. And, and I don't it like, and I was in Berlin, um, right before the right before the pandemic with my family and um just even walking with the stumbling the stones all over um so oh, in bed right for yeah the stumbling stones is that what they're called right yeah, stumble so, stones or stumbling stones yeah, whatever. yeah so for people listening if you have not well they're all it's interesting because they're all over europe um but there's stones in the ground, in the sidewalks or in the places that list people who during the Holocaust who had lived in those areas and then what had happened to them. And so we sort of found those that was something finding all over Europe. So just being able to kind of see that as well is this sort of um, important reminder that we often forget about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've done a much better job dealing with their history than America has done with its history. But for me, I mean, I hated going to Germany on one level because they speak German there. And Mm -hmm. to me, I associate German with Nazis. I just, I can't, I don't hear, I mean, even though my relatives all had a heavy German accent, it's just different there. And Germany wanted people who were forced to leave to come back and see how they changed. But my grandfather would never go back. And my parents did, though. My parents took the trip and went back and were given a large dose of propaganda Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Um, so, I mean, I could probably talk to you about this forever. I, I mean, it's really fascinating, right? But um, are you like this book is going to come out soon, right? It's coming out in the middle of February, and so what are you working? On? Like, do you have things that you want to share about 
your what you're promoting? Are you doing anything book tour wise that you kind of want to put out there? Like, what are you what's going on so that um, people can find out a little bit more about the book and find out and hear from you a little bit more? Well, we're, we're going to be at the Museum of Jewish Heritage in Lower Manhattan on February 16th. That's our first big public event. Um, and Bob Morris, a New York Times writer, is, is going to be interviewing us. And then there's r- random dates after that. It's not like, <laughs> yeah, they're all over the place. <laughs> and it's like through May or June. We, we're just doing a lot of dates. Um, yeah, we're doing Connecticut. We're doing New Jersey. I'm from Jersey, so we got to do Jersey. She lives in Connecticut. Uh, we're going to go to the West Coast. You know, we actually obviously have to do L.A., you know, the Hollywood connection. Um, and we're going to go to Palm Springs, which is where that giant statue of Marilyn Monroe is with her dress blowing up, which we're not necessarily fans of, but we feel like we needed to go there. Um, it's like six stories high. It's pretty incredible. I, I stumbled upon it by accident uh, this past year. I went to visit a friend who lives in Palm Springs and I read about that statue, but I didn't know where it was. And we're just like driving around and I see Marilyn's head like over the trees. It's sort of like King Kong, you know, walking through the forest. I'm like, oh my God, that statue is here. You know, my friend's like, oh yeah. You know, so we tried to see it and I was like, well, we definitely have to come here on our book tour. We're going to get people with picket signs or whatever, but we've got to go to Palm Springs. So yeah, we've got all kinds of stuff. It's going to, part of the book is running in Vanity Fair online. We've got um, Lit Hub is running a chapter. Uh, What else is going on? We've got some good reviews coming up, hopefully. (laughs) We just just got asked for pictures to run under a couple of places. I can't say where it's running yet, but but it's going to get reviewed, it looks like. And and the pre-reviews, you know, the Library Journal and... um, Kirkus. Kirkus and all those places, book lists have all been really, really positive. So we're hopeful that it's going to be okay. But you know, when you write a book, you just, I'm, I feel like I'm ready to give birth. You know, I'm just about to have that baby and I want Bonnie to come over and help me with the Lamaze <laughs> method. You know, I got to do the breathing exercises because I'm freaking out right now. <laughs> it's really nerve wracking. It doesn't matter how many books you've written. It's just always the yeah, same. It's always like, yes, what's going to happen? And this one, so I have to also ask, well, two things about like, you have pictures throughout this, which are great. Um, but you also have a picture of sort of the camera that was just so bonnie do you have that camera still yeah that's that's a still camera the right camera unfortunately i don't know if you remember hurricane sandy but i was mm-hmm. flooded during hurricane sandy and we lost the movie camera in the flood so and so what has happened with the footage i have it so do you like did you take it and like put it on you know and make it so that it was a little more um 2023 <laughs> a little more mod like do you have you modernized it and I mean I've digitized it yes. I've transfer of it but I'm not touching it other than that <laughs> it's, it's a pretty amazing film to begin with I mean it's just really lush and beautiful you don't have to do mm-hmm. much to it I mean it's just it's really it's ready to roll you know yeah. literally it was shot on Kodachrome with movie studio lights so it's perfect. Yeah. I mean, that's the what you sort of, I mean, and that's, it's not giving anything away because it's, you talk like, that's kind of some of the premise, yeah, but you talk about one. like, like this is this, like, it's not black and white footage. It's like full cover, like full color. Um, it's like, and it's not just Marilyn standing there. You can like see her oh. there. And yeah. So yeah, it kind of blew me away when, when Bonnie first got in touch with me, you know, years ago when we did that, when I did that story for the times, I had to meet with her to look at it. She wasn't going to send it to me. You know, she doesn't send it to anybody. <laughs> like, you know, I wouldn't either. I'd be well. like, yeah, I'm going to vault Smart. that up. Yeah. <laughs> she knows what she's doing. So she's like, well, you need to come to Connecticut. You know, so I went to Connecticut to watch the footage. And it's just mind-blowingly beautiful. I mean, it you feel like you're right there with Marilyn and it's this footage that no one has seen, you know, and it's just, it's really incredible. And that's obviously what got everything kicked off. Right. That's why we, we got here. So, but, you know, but I mean, I didn't do anything with it or think of doing anything with it for about 10 years. Like I was just like, cool, we found it. Closet. <laughs> um, it wasn't like, I didn't think I'm going to sell it or I'm going to call a collector. I was just happy that we found, you know, we, up. Oh, this story was real. Yes. Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> um, it wasn't really until Trump came along that I felt like, ah, I need to do something. What can I do? What do I have around me that I could do something with? It was like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Trump's even in the book, you know, briefly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Near the end. It all comes around. Right. It but yeah, comes. no, but I love, and I love that it was like, 
that that it really is. And I mean, you say this in the book and, uh, you know, it's sort of one of the taglines in this book, like finding this footage was more for you to be like, yes, my grandfather was like all these fabulous stories he was telling. <laughs> of course they were, you know, like, of course I have that footage. Of course it's there. I've got it, you know, like. And, so it, and his <laughs> response to our finding it was the best because I mean, I just, I was so excited and he was so nonchalant. Like, of course you found it. I told you I shot it. What's the big deal? And right. that, it was perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. And then all those other stories, you know, they all turned out to be true and real and be, and even beyond what he even said, you know, just mm-hmm. these stories are incredible. They're even more incredible than what he told her. It's true. You know? yeah. and, um, it's, and I got to talk to, I literally called relatives I had never met or heard of to get their stories. And it was the grandchildren of people my grandfather knew. And, you know, that woman, Leah, who jumped from the train, I called her daughters, like, just anybody who we were connected to, to get any stories they had, which mm-hmm. is really fun collecting stories. It's oh, yeah. I'm a reporter. It's totally fun. It's <laughs> no, it's right. And like the stories, and this is like we always are thinking that we want to hear those stories of the, the, you know, the rich and famous. But what really the real stories are the stories of like the, the everybody, right? Everybody has these beautiful, amazing stories, no matter who you are, no matter you know. And so just to be able to get those down and remember those stories and tell those stories, um, and yeah. and I appreciate too that they're are these and I know your grandfather filmed it but also there's many stories of women throughout this and like telling the stories of these women is really important and um doing amazing things and you know hiding out in plain sight and finding their you know like like you know convincing guards with like alcohol that they can you know survive right so all of those are important too to tell all those stories incredible absolutely I'm still blown away and the, the great thing about those stories is we, you know, we interviewed all these people. We also got recordings of people's stories, you know, um, who are not alive anymore and how everything does jigsaw together. You know, once you get it all and then mm-hmm. it just sort of all, it's like, oh, right. Yeah. We kind of heard a glimmer of that like two months ago, right? Let's dig those notes up, you know, and it all kind of jigsaws together and it tells you the story, you know, you're sort of digging the story out. That's how I feel. It's sort of like, you know, Michelangelo mm-hmm. with the, um, it's already in the stone you're just kind of finding it you know exactly. it's the same thing so i mean i just hope people it'll inspire people to ask their older relatives about their stories also so that they're not calling the grandkids of the people with the story but they're asking the people with the story yeah i i think um, at some point, I think in the book, there, there, maybe it was Billy Wilder or someone said, like, we, we don't want to forget these stories, you know, to the effect that like these stories can disappear, right? And so I think that this really is a, a an important way to say, hey, these stories are important. This did happen, right? This was not this made up like movie, you know, screen, whatever everybody think, you know, what some people think, right? right? This really did happen, and it's important, and it's still a relevant story in our history. If we forget it um this could happen right something similar could happen again and so the importance of that in our lifetimes the three of our lifetimes nazis bad right bad just universally assumed to be bad and then all of a sudden in the last few years people are just using that term casually they're proud of their feelings they're proud of their allegiance i don't when did this happen? I just can't. That's insane. Some guy yeah. just got arrested for throwing a Molotov cocktail at a synagogue in New Jersey the other day. You know. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So, no. What? I mean, it's each generation's responsibility to do this, to retell the stories, remind people what happened, how it went down, so we can avoid it. Yes. Yes. Um, I was in Austria again right before the pandemic as well, and. Um, having dinner with a group of folks who are talking about the frustration they see in the United often with the United States is nonchalant attitude towards Hitler and discussion, right? They were like, he, this man was hor. This is a horrible person that we, why are we continue? You know, why, why is there this continuing fascination um, in a pot, you know, in, in with people being positive about sort of that experience and the importance of continuing to tell the story and to continuing to tell um, and make sure that people know and hear the story and the responsibility of that. So I don't know if you noticed it. I, I, sometimes I forget it's even there, but on the cover of the book, um, there's a tiny little Hitler head. 
Did you notice? Oh it? yes, I now I do. Now that you say it, I have <laughs> I have the book right here, and I see it there. Yes, we made him as small as we possibly could, but still being recognizable. We didn't want to give him top billing, but you know he's there. He's mm-hmm. lurking. He there because he's a big part of the story. He is. Right. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that you can quickly like push out and smash down, right? Yeah. So are you um like I'll ask you like you so you talked a little bit about kind of some of the things you're doing. Is there anything else? My kind of final question is always: Is there anything else you're working on, or anything you're doing with sort of what you found? Like any other things that you're working on, you want to promote with this? Well. I am looking for a German translator (laughs) because one of the, just, this is the only thing connected to the book that I can think of. I was, I was able to get letters. My grandmother and her sister, Ushi wrote to the German government to try to get reparations and there are letters back and forth for 15 years. Well, they denied them credit for everything that they lost, literally everything, including their parents. Um, But the letters back and forth are just, I mean, I've translated a few just by Google Translate, not a very efficient way to go. Um, And so I'm looking for someone who really can spend some time understanding what these many, many, many documents say. And then we'd like to do an article about those documents and about Uh, reparations Uh, because i think people just assume oh well you know germany just gave the jews reparations and you know oh yeah it was great you know but apparently from these letters (laughs) it wasn't so easy so you think about after the war the people most of germany were in the nazi party so those people didn't lose their jobs they were still working these people who were nazis yesterday and then today they're not nazis so they were denying as much as they could for as long as they could because we're still bureaucrats yeah why could we why should we give money to the jews they're gone we don't need to get so they just fought with my grandmother over the over years and years i want to really get to the bottom of those letters but that's the only ancillary project well, it has been so amazing and wonderful talking with you. Thank you very much, Helene Stepinski and Bonnie Siegler, who are the authors of The American Way, A True Story of Nazi Escape, Superman and Marilyn Monroe. Thanks for talking with me for New Books and Popular Culture. Thanks for having us. 